This is Real Estate Rookie, episode number 85. I wanted to be able to, it's not like I don't want to work anymore, but I wanted to be able to fit in work around life rather than fitting in life around work. Ashley Care, and I am joined by my co-host, Tony Robinson. How are you today, Tony? I am doing great. It's been a busy week for us. We've taken now three listings live on Airbnb in the last like two and a half weeks, so my head's spinning a little bit, but it's a, it's a good place to be. I love seeing the Airbnbs come together when you and Sarah yeah. set them up on Instagram. It is so <laughs> cool. You guys, they, they do the Airbnb experience. Experience. I mean, it is really unique. It's very Instagrammable, I have to say. Yeah. What you don't see is like all the all the background work of me having to go to Home Depot like four different times to build this picnic <laughs> table because the nets kept getting stripped. So yeah, there's a lot of things that are happening. <laughs> yeah, but Tony and I actually did a call last week. And while we were on the call, you know, there's the power tools going. As I think it was the picnic table you were actually yeah, putting together. <laughs> and one thing Tony has said to me, and I would totally relate this to this too, is you've set, mentioned this to me a couple times is that wow putting together furniture really tests your marriage and my god <laughs> yeah. I cannot imagine being in a confined space putting together furniture for two days with somebody 391 square feet uh me and my wife shared for three days building furniture and with no directions no words but you know it's cool we, we got through it yeah I mean but with this is what how many have you guys done together by now so you guys are turning into pros uh yeah so I'm losing track yeah we're, we're figuring it out now. What, what about you, Ash? What's new on your side? Uh, not much. Actually, this weekend, I'm going to uh, Portland, Oregon. It's a big secret. Actually, I'll be flying into Portland and going to Bend, Oregon. So if you guys have not read Brian Murray's book, Crushing It, a super great investment book on multifamily real estate and just like it really goes through all things real estate as to like getting started, going through the hard things, the successes and building a team and a property management company and scaling up. So highly recommend that book, but he's actually running an ultra marathon in Bend, Oregon uh, this weekend. So a bunch of us are going and we're going to surprise him there. And we got t-shirts made with his face on it. And, you know, we're just going to you know show up and, and cheer him on and surprise him. So I'm, re I'm really excited. He's a really interesting, awesome guy and, you know, very humble, but always willing to, you know, teach and help someone learn and grow. So couldn't have picked a better person to go surprise run an ultra marathon. <laughs> That's beautiful. And I've only been to Oregon once, but like it was so like lush and green when I went out yeah. there. So I, yeah, it's, it's cool. I love it. I've never been. So Ooh, there you go. Exciting. <laughs> Well, today's guest, what a what a, like a phenomenal person we had on today, right? Like Ash and I were like geeking out in our little chat on the side about all the great things this guy yeah. was saying. Like I can't. But so he first I should, I should give you guys his name. But Justin Monk was our guest today. He's based in Utah, but he invests out in Ohio. And he gives, I think, really like a almost like a master class on how to build a team and effectively burr out of state. Yeah. And defining your market. Uh, we actually go through what you should look at when you're analyzing a market, things that, you know, may be important, things that aren't important. Just and we go through an actual list of this is what you should look at and see if these are things that you want to analyze when you're looking at a new market. Uh, but yeah, building the team. And he's just very insightful and he described things very well. He talked about things that we bring up on the podcast, but almost gave a little bit of a, a twist to it, such as when an obstacle comes up, you're, you're making an assumption that's an obstacle, but is it really an obstacle? So you guys listen through to the whole podcast and, you know, at the end he gives his Instagram and I think some of you will actually, you know, know who he is. You've seen his Instagram content, but just because he's always trying to help people learn and grow and become better real estate investors. Yeah. One of my favorite episodes by far, like Justin was phenomenal. So you guys are going to love this episode. And if you guys are watching this on our brand new Real Estate Rookie YouTube channel, please make sure to like, subscribe, uh, turn on the notifications. That way you guys are notified as soon as you drop a new video. But hopefully you guys are enjoying the content so far. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. 
They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent to retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. If you're in the landlord game, you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. So say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. Now, if you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for just $1. You can't beat that. So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, investor to get six months of rent ready for $1. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Justin, welcome to the show. Can you uh, start off telling everyone a little bit about yourself, maybe even pre-real estate? Yeah, you bet. I am super excited to be here. I've always been a, a big fan of Bigger Pockets, so this is a dream come true for sure. Hopefully, I can share a few things that will help uh, new investors to get started on their journey. You know, when I first got married, we bought a townhome and we knew that there was some potential to, you know, rent it out, make some money, and kind of start that real estate journey there. I'd had an uncle that was very successful in real estate investing, so I'm like, there's got to be a way for us to get into this. So, once we moved out of that townhome, we started, we rented it out and everything was good. And so I started like, all right, where do we go to get the next property? And we realized really quickly that to, in order to get that next property, we had to come up with 20 or 30% down or whatever. And I'm like, well, how many of those can I do before I, you know, run out of capital, run out of money? And so I really, I quickly learned that I needed a new way to invest in real estate. I needed to learn more about it. I grew up on a dairy farm, you know, learned how to work really hard. And so I knew that if I just, I put in some effort, got after it, I would be able to figure out a way to continue into real estate investing. And so dove in, discovered bigger pockets and the podcasts and the books and really learned about the Burr method, which was really intriguing to me because I could see a way to get my capital back and do more or do another property and another property and not be limited on just my personal capital. So that's kind of how I got started into it. Like I said, I, you know, I grew up on a dairy farm, have a full-time job in the solar industry. So real estate's always been something on the side, but I'd like that to become more of a full-time thing for me. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we're at now. We, we use the Burr method and we invest long distance. Justin, real quick, can you give everyone an overview real quick of your portfolio, how many deals you've done, how many rentals you have now? Yeah, for sure. So we ended up using that townhome. We sold that townhome. I still have mixed feelings about selling it, but that was kind of our seed money. That was our capital because we had lived in it for five or six years and then we rented it out for two or three years. So we had some equity in it and that allowed us to 
use that money for our next property. So that was the first one. The second one was the first Burr method. And we ended up not picking a very good contractor and it didn't turn out to be the best deal. And we can maybe go into more details on that, but we learned a ton and we decided that in order for our capital to go farther, we needed to go into other markets. The Northern Utah market, Idaho market is super expensive at least from my perspective. And so we started looking into other markets outside. So now we own four in Ohio and we're hoping to pick up another one this week. And they're all Burr properties. That's awesome. Congratulations. I want to go back to kind of your mindset and what you were thinking when you bought that first townhome. What was your life like then? Were you working your W-2? What was your lifestyle like? And how did you make that, that jump, that leap and get into real estate investing? Yeah, the W-2. So yeah, I had the full-time gig and I just knew I've never wanted to be the guy that worked till I was 65 and, and then retire, right? That's not what I've wanted. So I knew that I had to start building up other forms of income, other forms of wealth so that I could retire early. And I know we talk about this a lot, you know, retire early, financial independence. And I just feel like what I've always kind of wanted, the mindset around that was I wanted to be able to, it's not like I don't want to work anymore, but I wanted to be able to fit in work around life rather than fitting in life around work. Does that make sense? Like, Definitely. Yeah. I've always felt like, and I don't get me wrong, I have a really good job and I'm a manager, a part owner in the company. So it's a really good gig, but I always feel like life and family are getting the leftovers and I'm working in like, okay, yeah, I can squeeze in an hour here to go do whatever with my son or, or whatever. And I'm just like, that's not how I want to live my life. I want it to flip around so that I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm going to take a break from fishing with my son to close this real estate deal down or whatever. Like I want it to flip around. And so that was the mindset going into real estate. And that's why we're like, okay, we got to figure this out. I knew there was potential. And so we just dove in and started learning. And, and that's kind of how we got to where we are. Yeah, Justin, I mean, you, you brought up a really good point there. You didn't say it this way, but what you just described was your why. Your why behind your real estate investing is you want to make sure that you have enough time for your family and that your work activities fit in, like don't detract from your family life. And for a lot of new real estate investors, I think the first thing that they sometimes focus on is just like the the dollars and the cents of real estate investing. But it, it's such a hard path to get to the point of financial freedom through real estate investing that if the the dollars and the cents are the only thing that's motivating you, there's a high chance that you're, you're not going to persist through all of the struggles, through all of the obstacles, through all of the challenges that come along the way. So yeah, I guess just a word of advice to all the listeners is take a page out of Justin's book and tie your motivation to something bigger than than just the money. Justin, I want, I want to go back to something you said, because you said that you've used this strategy because you initially ran out of capital. But for the listeners that aren't familiar with the Burr strategy, what is that? Can you break it down for us? Yeah. So I love the Burr strategy. Obviously, you know that if you're picking up real investment properties, you're usually having to come up with 20 or 30% down if you're not going to live in it. House hacking is another strategy, which is awesome too. But I have a wife and four kids. So living in a this one side of a duplex is tricky for me. But the Burr method, so you're able to buy a property, you rehab it, and then you rent it out, and then you refinance your capital back out. So it allows you to, let's just say, like this deal that hopefully I pick up this week, we are going to offer like $41,000. We might put in maybe $10,000 into the rehab. It's probably worth seventy dollars or $75,000. So the bank, my bank, I'm, I'm looking for other financial solutions, but some banks will go 70% loan to value. Some will go as much as 80% loan to value. So they are giving you a long-term loan you know, a cash out refinance. So you have a mortgage on the property and then you get, you know, that total investment call it to $51,000. You get that back out and now you get to go do another property. You know, you have zero money in the deal. Sometimes there's two or $3,000 left in the deal, depending on how it comes together. But you have zero money left in the deal, you're cash flowing, and now you have your money to go do it again. And that to me was the ultimate way of being able to repeat it and scale a portfolio over time. So many people in the bigger pockets community leverage the Burr strategy for all of the reasons that you just recommended. It allows you to recycle your capital over and over and over again. You talked about your markets. I just want to go back to that really quickly. You said you started investing in, in one market. If you can remind us what that market was, but you moved into a second market. I want to know 
How did you identify what that second market was? Because I think a lot of people who are looking to get started in real estate investing, one of their pain points or one of their obstacles is trying to decide where do I invest? So I'm curious how you landed on your second market. So yeah, I, I live in Northern Utah. So that was obviously kind of where we started looking, you know, but a, a, an average three bed, two bath in this market is $150,000, where I'm picking up three bedroom, one or two bath in Ohio for forty or $50,000. And so I'm like, I didn't even have enough capital initially to start in this market and to, to pick those up because we're obviously we're buying cash, right? We got to buy it outright. So we had to go to a different market. And my tip here will be, <laughs> it, sound, it sounds so simple, but just Google it. Like if you start to research, just Google it. Like there's so much data out there that's available, whether it's bigger pockets or other members of bigger pockets and their own resources. Like there's so much data out there. So, I mean, for example, if you're looking into the Memphis area, there's a company there, a group that they have a podcast and all they do is they break, they break it down every zip code every year. And it's like, so all I have to do is like, oh, here's a Memphis property that I may be interested in. I go to the podcast episode where they cover that zip code and I learned about that zip code. The data is so available to us. The forums and bigger pockets are obviously huge. For me, in deciding to go to Ohio, I was following somebody on Instagram and I could tell that he was investing out of state. I'm like, where, hey, where are you investing? And he said, Ohio. And I'm like, hey, can I pick your brain? I think I, I think I paid him like a hundred bucks for an hour of his time, which is crazy. But what it did is that it shrunk the investment, the kind of the research period down. In an hour, I knew what neighborhoods to invest in, what neighborhoods to avoid, some of the tricks of the market out there with the point of inspection and things like that. And so just within an hour, I felt really comfortable of what where I was investing. And I think like within a few days, I was making offers. I mean, obviously I had to build my team and, and stuff like that, but we were on our way really quickly, not taking months uh, to do the research. So long answer to your question, but leaning on people that are already doing it, leaning on the, just Googling it, looking for the resources that are already there, we can get a long ways with just those resources. Justin, I think a big thing to point out, though, is not that you reached out to this person and not that they helped you and cut your time down, was that you actually did the research first. You Googled it first, then you approached them. So it wasn't just, you know, a DM that said, hey, what should I know about your market? Or can you tell me everything there is to know about that market? You had already done some research yourself. So it wasn't like you were in Ohio market rookie coming in. You had some data already and you had a foundation so that they didn't have to take the time to to teach you those steps. You could easily Google and you could spend that that hour with your hundred dollars getting more valuable information of stuff you couldn't Google or easily find. So I think that that is huge right there because we talk so much on the podcast about finding mentors and, you know, what questions to ask. And I think that right there is Google everything you can. And then after that, go and get their opinion on what you have actually found out. Yeah, Ashley, you bring up a good point too, because uh, Justin, maybe you can share like what data were you looking at when you were analyzing those different zip codes? Like what did you see in the data to make you say, okay, this is a good market for me? I used that Memphis example just as an example, but in Ohio, I felt like I could figure out, you know, I knew the Burr method and I looked at properties and I could see what properties were going for that were slightly distressed and, and may make a deal. I was using the bigger pockets calculators, obviously, to run the numbers. But the only thing I didn't really know and that was crucial for me to get from this investor was the markets. You know, I could talk to property management companies and agents, but I wanted to get from an investor, like what were the, not markets, but the neighborhoods to avoid and the neighborhoods to focus on. I felt like that was the missing piece in the data, or that was the one thing I was afraid of was like, I just got to make sure this is in a decent neighborhood. And sometimes it's just really hard to tell. I know you can use like the crime maps on Trulia and things like that, but I don't think that's super fine-tuned. I think it's generalities. And so that was the data that I needed from that investor, that coach or mentor, I guess, is just, okay, now that I have all this data, I know it's a good market. I did the population trends, the who are the employers. I did all of that stuff. All I needed from him really was like, okay, what zip codes do I go to? And that was really where we fine-tuned everything. And I was able to feel pretty confident in, in making offers. 
I just pulled up my market analysis worksheet here that I use with each thing that I look at. So I was wondering if you guys wouldn't mind, I can read through it real quick. And then I'd love to get your guys feedback because you both, you know, are investing out of state and finding new markets and see what things should be added or what things you don't think uh, really matter at all. Okay, so the first one is uh, job industry, population growth percentage, average home value, average rent, price to rent ratio, tax assessment percentage, uh, and then anything unique with the utilities. Like um, I had to introduce Tony that houses, some houses have wells on them and explain (laughs) what a well is. (laughs) Seasonal maintenance, such as snow plowing, uh, any specialty insurance, such as earthquake or flood insurance. The average age of the renters, average education level, percentage of homeowners versus percentage of renters in the area, the crime stats, uh, school district rating, average age of properties, and then average vacancy rate in the area from other landlords. And then lastly, what kind of exit strategies do you have? Like if you're buying a rental, is there potential to sell it? You know, if it's single family house, sell it and flip it or something like that. That's super thorough. I mean, that's even beyond what I did. And that's that's awesome. Yeah, it's a good list. I'm looking through. So like I did something very similar when I first started investing, too. So I pulled up that old spreadsheet that I had. And I think you hit on pretty much everything that I had in here. I did have some some stats on vacancy, multifamily versus single family. I think the only other thing I had in there was the school ratings. Like, so for each, and I was doing it by MSA. So by each MSA, like what were the the great school ratings? But I think everything else you you pretty much hit. Uh, maybe there's like any other economic anchors in those markets as well. You know, like, is there a big Amazon hub that just got built? Or is there some, you know, I don't know, whatever the other economic anchors might be, but... I feel like everything else, you got a pretty exhaustive list. Yeah, with the job industry, I think it's important to point out, too, is make sure there's not just one job industry, too, in that market. You know, maybe there's two or three that are supporting it because if that, you know, business fails or they move locations, then you just lost (laughs) most of your potential renters. (laughs) Justin, what are some of the things you think that really don't matter when analyzing a market? Like, what are some of the things that you didn't even look at because they don't align with your goals because some of these things, they could not matter to anyone because they're looking for appreciation. They're not looking for cash flow or vice versa. So what are some things you don't care at all to even analyze in a market? That's a great question. For me, I had some people kind of challenge me like, hey, well, Ohio is not like a real high appreciation market. And it's not. It's felt that way the last six months, though. But it's not an appreciation play. For me, I want cash flow. So for me, I'm able to rent these properties out for well over the 1% rule, which is awesome. I mean, they're worth like, again, they're worth 70 or $75,000. They're renting for 950 or 1050. And so the rental ratio is awesome. But I know that the appreciation isn't going to be as great as other markets, but it's also not going to swing the other way as bad as other markets. So I feel like I'm safer there in some regards because I won't see the swings. It'll just be consistent rental income. And that's ultimately what I was after. So I wasn't going to these super hot markets that were appreciating like crazy because that wasn't what I ultimately wanted. I'll still get the loan pay down. So I will build equity in that fashion, but not necessarily through appreciation, although it's starting to appreciate kind of like crazy right now. So yeah. Justin, you know, something that comes up a lot from the, the real estate rookies is this idea of analysis paralysis, right? They listen to the podcast, they read the books, they're active in the Facebook groups, but for whatever reason, they can't get started. And one of the things that holds people up is this idea of trying to find the perfect market. And, you know, I just want to give my thoughts on it. I'm curious what, what both of you think, right? But for me, the first market, as long as it's not a city that's on fire, And as long as you can find a deal that makes sense in that market, then I think you should pull the trigger. Even if it's not somewhere that you want to invest in for the next 30 years, there's always an opportunity to exit that market if things don't work out. But for me, if you're a rookie that's done zero deals, what's more important than finding that very first or perfect market is getting the first deal done. So Justin, I I want your insight. And then actually we can go to you afterwards because I know you're in the process looking for a new market as well. But Justin, for you, how did you move past the analysis process? Was it that conversation with that other investor or was it something else that helped you kind of take that leap of faith? It's a great question because this, as I've kind of spoke to other people that are trying to get into real estate investing, they do the exact same thing that I did. I'm a perfect example of talking myself out of deals. So finding the one little booger that's on the deal 
and being like, oh yeah, no, we can't do this. Like, oh, that's just too much risk or that assumption is too big or whatever. And so I, I talked myself out of a lot of deals before finally that the same investor that was kind of that mentor, he messaged me out of the blue. Cause I'm like the whole time I'm sharing this on social media, showing the deals and I'm talking about, oh yeah, you know, we decided not to offer on this property out of the blue. He calls me out. He DMs me and he's like, I can't remember what he said. Something about like sabotaging the deals, like talking myself out of these deals. He's like, you got to stop it. And so it was a wake up call. I'm like, you know what? You're right. And so I've learned over time now that there is no perfect market. There's no perfect deal. There's no perfect scenario. There's no perfect time. You're right. There's always going to be some unknown. There's always going to be some calculated risk or assumptions that we're making. But that's why we as investors make money is because that's the value we bring is we figure this stuff out. We make the calculations and we take, we jump. There will always be some point in your real estate journey, whether it's the fifth door, the first door, maybe even the hundredth door. I don't know. Not there yet, but where you have to jump into something new. You have to take a little bit of a blind jump. Otherwise you just, you're never going to accomplish anything. So that was it. Like not looking for the perfect deal and understanding that there really is no such thing. And then having that that investor call me out on it. In fact, I messaged Brandon Turner one day. Surprisingly, he responded to me. I'm like, hey, these numbers don't work. Like, I'm not getting all my money back out on these burrs. And he's like, yeah, like, I very seldom get all of it. Like, the perfect burr is even a rare scenario. So that was super liberating. And I was way more confident to jump into deals after I kind of figured that out or got that mindset. Justin, that was like, I love, love, love your response to that one, man, because it was a change in mindset, not a change in knowledge, not a change in, you know, some kind of technical skill. It was a switch in your mind that went off that said, this is the change that I need to make in order to be a successful uh, real estate investor. So for all of the rookies that are listening, I want all of you to go back, re-listen to that last like 60 seconds over and over again, because that's what elevated you, Justin, to be able to move into that second market and finally find success. Ash, I want to get your your input. You know, I, I know you're looking for another market as well. Like, at what point do you feel you'll be ready to make that leap? Yeah, I don't know. This is where I struggle is that I go and I search out for these other markets and then I find this perfect opportunity in my current market and then I get distracted. <laughs> but I think that one thing for me that kind of holds me back is that it's finding your team. And that that's always been the struggle for me. And I'm part of me is to blame because I'm not putting in the work to actually find a team in different markets. And, you know, I had I had done Houston, Texas, and I have a team there. I just haven't found a property there. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, you know, you got to find the market, but you also have to make sure that there's the people and there's the team to help you in that market too. Brandon Turner, we can bring him up again. He had done this post recently on his Instagram saying, you know, what he looks for in a market. And one of the things was there must be at least six property managers available for him to pick from in that market before he will invest in there. And I think that's a great thing because you can get caught up on, you know, what's going to be your return, what's going to be your cash flow, what, you know, are you going to have renters and stuff like that? But also, are you going to have the boots on the ground? Are you going to have someone that can show that apartment for you? And yes, there's tons of ways to manage your property, you know, remotely, and you can set up keyless entry and stuff, but you're still going to need a handyman to come in. You're going to have to still find those people. So I think that's where I struggle the most is not really analyzing the market but really finding the people in the markets and even close to me where I live and from my house, I invest probably 30 minutes north and 30 minutes south of my house. Well, the same people I have, you know, helping with maintenance on those north properties don't want to travel an hour south. So I have to find different people there. But that would be my recommendation is make sure that you're not just analyzing the market, but you're finding your team in there, too. That's a great point, Ashley. Justin, how are you finding and building your teams in that that new market that you selected? There was a little bit of luck. Like we ended up finding some good people uh, to help us out. I started out so once I had identified Ohio as the place I wanted to go, started out on bigger pockets. I know I'm banging on that thing a lot. Today, we don't mind the bigger pockets. <laughs> yeah, I know. I bet you don't. But it's such. Let's just. I mean, it is a phenomenal resource. So I went to bigger pockets. Uh, I'm not sure what tab it is, but basically where I can search, you know, I can network with people. I can say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for this type of person, like an agent or a property management company in this market search. And they got, you know, whatever it is, 45 property management companies. 
And I just started to message them right through bigger pockets. You can message them. So I'm not having to email or whatever. I'm just messaging them through my message is like 25. Hey, I'm going to Ohio. I'm an out of state investor and I want to, you know, want to see what you guys can do for me. So sure enough, like you message 25 and really like only like seven or eight even respond. So there's sign number one of who you want to work with. Cause I like that they're active on bigger pockets. I like that they're paying attention. So those obviously shortlisted themselves pretty quickly. And then I just had conversations and I wasn't so concerned about, and maybe this is a detriment, but I wasn't so concerned about their fees and the, how they compared with other companies. What I wanted is responsiveness. Like I wanted them to be super responsive. I wanted them to be big enough that there was a team. So it was, everybody had their responsibilities. It wasn't just like a one or a two man show. And with the one that I ended up picking, they were super responsive. I could tell that there were different people in the different departments. So I was talking to the leasing agent wasn't necessarily doing everything. Like it was diversified a little bit. So this company kind of rose to the top and I did the same thing. Well, they ended up having an agent in-house because they're a brokerage also. So they recommended an agent and he ended up working out really well. But I also did the same thing for an agent, same bigger pockets tool, search the agent, start messaging them, the people that responded or obviously shortlisted. And then I just started interviewing them. And I would just, I just started sending them properties. I'm like, Hey, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And the people that were res- the most responsive, like, you know, even outside of business hours, cause you know, they're. Ohio's two hours ahead of me. So I would be finally getting to real estate after five, six o'clock my time. So it's eight or nine o'clock their time. But if they were responding, that was a really good sign that they wanted to help me out. And so that eventually I've narrowed it down to two. And the one that was already with this property management company kind of rose to the top as being the most helpful. So that was kind of how I found the agent property management. Then the agent had a contractor that they referred me to that he'd done work with before. So that's right where we started with the contractor. And luckily he's been really good. I don't think that usually happens. I think you got to go through two or three to find the right one. But this one, we kind of lucked into a great contractor right out of the gate. And it's been pretty good so far. Justin, I just have to say that the ones you're sending deals to who didn't respond, it's because they went and bought those deals that you sent to them. So that's how you never heard back. <laughs> if anyone wants to take Justin's route um, to, and find an agent through Bigger Pockets, the link to that is biggerpockets.com forward slash agent. And you can search uh, the market you're looking in and you'll pop up uh, agents that are available in those areas. <laughs> Rookies, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. Nope, they've now rolled out proof of income verification. So let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets, but if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. How great of a deal is that? So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for only $1. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling 
screening and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Justin, let's dive into one of your deals. Let's hear all the numbers. I'm going to just ask you a couple questions real quick before we get into the actual story of it. So what deal do you want to talk about today? Um, do you want a good deal or a, like a, a bad deal? <laughs> the most, ed- yeah, whichever one is the most educational, probably for the listeners. Just real, I'm going to do some fire rapid questions at you real quick, and then you can go into the story. Uh, how did you find the deal? On the MLS. Yeah. Okay. How, what was the purchase price? I think it was $42,000. And what kind of strategy are you using this for, Burr? So we did the Burr method, yep. Yep. Okay. And what was the rehab cost on it? This one was like, uh, I think it was $12,000. And is it fully rented now? Yep. All done with it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah. We'll save uh, so you can tell us, is this the good deal or the bad deal? This is the good deal. Yeah, this is the good one. <laughs> the good deal? Okay. So you don't have to tell us your how it worked out yet. So go ahead and tell us the story of how you acquired it, things you learned along the way. And then at the end, let us know, uh, you know, what's your cash flow? What did you refinance at? And how did it work out for you? Yeah. So this is one of the, I think this was the first deal in Ohio. And it was important because we proved the model. We proved that it could work. So what we learned was, hey, we can do this. Like, which was a big thing for me because, you know, just knowing that it can work and I can succeed just like all the guests on the Bigger Pockets podcast, like that was important to me. Just knowing that the model worked and that we could succeed in it. So we bought the property. It went really pretty smoothly as far as through the rehab. And, you know, we learned how to work with that contractor, how to how to communicate, how to there was definitely some things that I should have been more clear on as far as what exactly he was going to do in the rehab. So I've been fine tuning that over time now, like, okay, this great that that's your price. This is your very vague scope of work, but I've learned that I need to be a lot more specific because when he comes for that, you know, whatever the second payment or whatever, it's nice to know that he actually did certain things in the scope of work. So the more specific that scope of work is, the better. That's been a kind of a tough lesson for me to learn, but that's one thing we learned on this first deal. Um, It ended up, appraising i think it appraised for like seventy-five thousand, and so we're able to get all but a couple thousand bucks out of the cash out refinance um it's renting for 950 so i think there's like just under 300 dollars of cash flow so it's been a good property for us been our favorite for sure yeah justin i have one follow-up question so i brought it up on google maps here utah is 1712 miles away from you from ohio That's a very long distance. And I think a lot of people have fears of not just investing out of state, but even more so managing this rehab from out of state. So you already kind of touched on the scope of work and how you've made some tweaks to that. But A, were you nervous about managing a rehab from such a far distance? And B, what are some of the things you felt that you did that made managing that rehab successful? Yeah. So, I mean, anytime that I tell people that I invest in Ohio, they just look at me like I'm absolutely crazy. Like they just don't understand. But the way I look at it is honestly, I'm the real estate investor. I'm not the contractor, not the property management company, and I'm not like an inspector. So I really, I mean, I know what a distressed property looks like and I know what some of the big issues are, are, but I don't know the finer details and I don't know how to rehab a kitchen. I've never done it. So I tell people that I'm like, well, I would probably use this. So I kind of have a a method of checks and balances to make sure that no one team member can take me too far astray. So, you know, we have the agent. He obviously wants to sell me or get, you know, help me buy a property. So he's a little bit biased as far as, yeah, you know, it'll be a great deal, you know, not just a little light rehab, you know, so he has his biases, which is fine. But then I have a contractor as soon as we get into contract uh, and I always have an inspection contingency. I think that's crucial. It may eliminate some deals for me, but it's just, it's a safety net for me. Once we're in contract, I have the contractor go over there and he can say, oh, whoa, whoa, this is way more rehab than we're thinking. So he can kind of check what my agent was saying. 
Anyway, he walks through it. He gets me a rehab. I then pay an inspector, a uh, home inspector, to go through it every time. And some people might cringe at that. I know it's like 350 bucks every time, but this is my eyes. Once he's gone through that property, I get like a 75-page report with like 100 pictures. Like I've seen every nook and cranny of that house, even though it's 1,200 miles away. So people say, well, how are you buying these places without seeing them? I'm like, I, I've technically seen them. I haven't walked through them which would probably be bad. I'd probably just get all emotional about the deal and find a thing wrong with it to not do it. But it's actually, so it actually works better. But so the inspector goes through it. So he's holding my contractor and my agent accountable and their opinions of the deal. He's also going to add a few things to the scope of work that the contractor may have said, ah, that's going to be a little bit hard. We'll just leave that out or whatever. He's got everything. So now I go back to the contractor. I'm like, hey, these things need to be added to the scope of work. And we adjust his number. And then... If all that's checking out, we start to, you know, we close, we start the rehab. The final member of the team that's kind of checking again is the leasing manager, right? So she's walking through the place and she, thank goodness, she is like super picky, super picky. And so she's holding the contractor, like I'm paying the contractor based on what she's telling me has been done or not. And if there's like a light fixture that's still loose or a light switch that doesn't have a cover on it, she's telling me about it. Because that's obviously a safety issue. That's a rental. You know, she wants it to rent well. So now she goes through and she says, hey, these things still need to be addressed. And I go back to the contract. I'm like, hey, these things were in the scope of work. You didn't do them. Or these things were missed. Please add them to the scope of work. So now I have another checkpoint where my leasing agent is now, the property management company is now holding my contractor accountable. And so I feel like that hedges my risk a little bit. Now, obviously, it could still spiral out of control, but that keeps me a little bit safer. Now, obviously I'm still putting a lot of trust into these people and that's just one thing you have to get comfortable with. But I feel like that check and balance system of those four people is really kind of a safe way to do it. I'm so glad you brought that up. That is really great advice because it can be so easy, I guess, like, or so exciting to be like, oh, I found one perfect person. I only have to manage one person. They're going to do it all for me. But really, you made a great point. It's the checks and balances. Just like if you were running an office, you wouldn't want the same person to manage the bank account, write all the checks, take care of the cash. You would at least want another signer on the check or, you know, someone else inputting the payables. So I think that's great. And that's a great way to look at it is having those checks and balances of you know, in the process of your team. So are those your three main team members right there? The property manager, is the property manager and the leasing agent with the realtor, they're all within the same they're company? They're the same company, yeah. Positions. They're the same company, yep. but different positions. Okay. So that could be some conflict of interest yeah. there. I, I keep an eye on that for sure. But yeah, so the agent, the contractor, the inspector, and then the leasing agent are kind of the team members that I use out there. I mean, yes, I have a, you know, I have private money and I have lenders and stuff, but as far as acquiring the property, that's, that's the team I use for that check and balance system, which has kept me pretty safe. Do they have, um, within their maintenance division, they, do they offer any remodeling inside of that? Like my property management company, they will do, you know, big remodels on the properties and I get a quote from them. And usually it's a little bit higher than if I don't use them, but it's it's kind of a convenience, I yeah. guess. But you are paying a premium. Do they offer that to you, but you have your... your yeah, they already. do offer that, and I haven't used it yet. I try and keep my contractor so busy that he doesn't have time for any of the maintenance stuff. So like we're turning a property right now into a new rental or getting a new renter, a tenant in it. And so there's some maintenance stuff. So I use the property management company to do that kind of stuff because I need the main contractor focused on the new properties that we're trying to bring in. So I haven't used it on a full-fledged rehab, but just the maintenance stuff and that company, yeah. Okay, awesome, yeah. Is there anything else you wanna share with us uh, about this property? Any last minute uh, advice to a rookie that's looking into getting a burr? One thing that I will mention as far as, so this check and balance system, it's been working really good. One perk you have in Ohio is that a lot of the cities have a point of sale inspection. So this is an inspection that the city does 
when a property is listed for sale. And so there's a list of things that have to be fixed before the property can change hands. As the buyer, I obviously assume that those things to fix them. And I sign a paper with the city saying that I'll take care of everything. This is a pretty cool thing because before I even make an offer, I can see a list of all the issues that the city has identified on the outside of the home. Some cities do both inside and outside. So they're going to tell me about the roof. They're going to tell me about maybe does the driveway need repaired? You know, what's the roof like on the garage? There's a lot of things that I can look at before I even make an offer to know what the rehab is going to be. And so that's kind of a cool little perk in Ohio. I'm sure it's done in other markets across the nation, but that point of sale inspection is a good tool. So my agent, if I say, hey, I'm interested in this property, will you send me the POS? That's like the first step. I want to look at that, check my numbers, and then we'll make offers. Justin, I want to go back to one thing that you mentioned earlier, because we, we kind of went through it quickly, but you talked about creating your scope of work for this project. Can you define what a scope of work is? And then how do you go about creating yours being so far away from the property? And I guess kind of as a, a second part to that question, when you get to the actual finishes, like what kind of, you know, countertops, cabinets, the flooring, how are you going about choosing those as well? Yeah, I give a lot of power, I guess, to my contractor to pick the stuff. I, I don't know. I don't know what colors match. Like that's not my strength. So I just, I kind of let him do this thing there. He, we've looked at examples of the level of rehab that we want in other properties. So he knows kind of what level to bring it to. We're not going granite countertops. We're not going to the level of like flipping the property because we don't need to, right? We're just going, we just need it to appraise for a certain amount so we can cash out refinance and then put a renter in it. It doesn't need to be, you know, we're not breaking walls down and making it open concept and things like that. We're just, and we're not just lipstick on a pig either. We are somewhere in between there. So we've kind of established the level of rehab we want. And so he'll give me his first rundown of the scope. It's just listed out. It's not very detailed and then a price. And then if that looks right, then we wait for the inspection to come through on the house. And then this is the tedious part. Then we get on the phone together. We're doing a screen share and we go through like every picture, everything in the inspection. And I'm like, hey, is this already in your scope of work? If it's not, do we need to do it? And we decide do we need to do it or not. And so we're adding, we're building out a scope of work. What I'm not good at is making him get super detailed on like what each item costs. I usually just see kind of chunks of dollar. Okay, painting is this much and then the kitchen is this much. I pro I don't know. Maybe I should go more finer details there. But that's kind of how we build out the scope of work. And it usually takes kind of an hour long phone call just to go through every item, every picture and just build that scope of work out. That's great, especially for someone who doesn't know what a rehab will cost, doesn't know how to estimate those costs. That's why you use the people, you leverage the people on your team to to help with that. I once had someone tell me that when they have an inspection done, they have the inspector, you know, put together the list of things that are wrong or, you know, maybe need to replace. And he does it in like, okay, what needs to be fixed or replaced within like right away? What needs to be done within the next year? What needs to be done within the next five years? And then, you know, what's something that needs to be done within the next 10 years or something like that? And I thought that was great advice, too, because it kind of gives you a look down the road too. not what needs to be done right now, but in the future, what expenses do you need to plan for so that you know that that cost up front, too? Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. Okay, uh, Tony, do you want to take us to our mindset segment? Absolutely, Justin. Thank you so much for sharing all the details on that on that bird, brother. Like that, so much good content out of that. So I know the listeners are going to love it. But um, yeah, let, let's roll into the mindset segment, which is uh, one of my favorites. The question that I've got for you, Justin, is before you became a real estate investor, you had all these assumptions about what it was going to be like, what it was going to take, who you were going to have to become, uh, the skills you were going to need. What were some of the misconceptions you had about becoming a real estate investor that you realized once you actually became one? It just takes longer. <laughs> it takes longer than you expect it to. Like, I mean, even just closing a deal, like, I mean, even if you're making cash offers close in 10 days, like very seldom does it ever 10 days. Like sometimes it's it just always stuff that just gets in the way. And it's always, it's going to take longer and it's going to be harder. And there's always going to be something like, even when you're at a certain level of doors, I'm sure you're expanding into new markets or wherever, there's always an obstacle and there's always growth opportunities. And so the mindset for me, the shift was like, oh, wow, 
yes, this is passive income. This is a great way to build wealth, but it's, it's no picnic. Like there's still stuff there's, st- it still requires work. I mean, I was up like at, for when I first got started, I was up like at four or four thirty AM sending out direct mailers when I first got started. I don't do that anymore, but, or even now, like this morning I was from five to six o'clock, I was just analyzing deals in new markets, just seeing what the numbers look like. So it's definitely takes work. And that's probably one of the biggest things like you it's sometimes sold as like this, oh, it's passive income and which it is technically in, in a way, but there's still a lot of work that goes into it. And so that was kind of a mindset shift that I had to make. I'm like, hey, this, we still got to work hard. We still got to put a lot of time into this and to not get frustrated with sometimes how it, how slow you seem to be going because you're actually going faster than you think you are. And we see that all the time. Uh, we see it on the Facebook group, the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. We see it on the on the forums where people are saying, hey, I've been at this two months and I haven't gotten my first deal yet. Or, hey, I've submitted seven offers and I haven't gotten anything accepted yet. Or I've analyzed 10 deals, but nothing's penciling out. This is a business of of large numbers, right? You've got to submit 15, 20, 30 deals. You've got to analyze 100. You've got to keep going. You've got to be at it for several months before that first deal, that first offer is finally accepted. So I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I'm sure there's a lot of rookies that are listening right now that are thinking, man, I must be doing something wrong because it's taking so long. But in reality, that's how long it takes for almost everybody. Now, I now have a, I'm not perfect at it, but when I come up against a roadblock, uh, let's just say like, for example, hey, hey, when I like when I got started, hey, there's no way I can buy more than one property if I got to put 30% down. That was an assumption based on a lack of knowledge. Like I was based on the data I had. That's how I felt. But I started to challenge that. I'm like, there's got to be a way like there's got to be a way who knows how to do this. Start searching Google, whoever, right? Find bigger pockets and learn about, oh, hey, here's, here's the birth strategy. So there is a way. So my advice or what I learned early on was to challenge the assumptions. You know, I, again, another one was how am I ever going to fund one of these deals in Ohio if I got to buy it cash for 40 or 50 grand? And I'm like, there's no way I can do that. So I I actually set a goal. It was like towards the end of the year. I set a goal. I'm like, I'm going to figure this out by the end of the year. And I'm going to buy a property by the end of the year. And by setting that goal, and I'm like, this is like, I treated it like life or death, like life or death. I have to figure this out. Got super committed. And all of a sudden one day, I don't know where, I, if I was like on a run or if I was listening to a podcast, but the idea came to me, well, Hey, I have a property at my, our personal residence where we have a ton of equity in it. We can just use a home equity line of credit for that first deal. And so again, just challenging the assumptions because most of the time the roadblocks that we encounter are an assumption that we've made based on a limited amount of data. That's like 100%, almost 100% of the time, I swear. Like maybe not 100% of the time, but most of the time when you're like, oh, this is the roadblock I'm up against. If you really look at it, it's just an assumption that you've made based on either inaccurate or not complete data. And if you challenge that and get committed, like we have to figure this out. If this was life or death, how would we get around this roadblock? And you'll see the gear start to turn, the lights start to come on, and and you'll learn things that can help you get around that. So challenging your assumptions or your your ro- your perceived roadblocks is a huge thing that I've learned getting started in real estate. Justin, that was so great. That is awesome advice. I love that it, you didn't look at it as to I can't. You looked at it as okay, how do I do it? How can I figure it out? And also, I, like listening to podcasts, reading books, or talking to other investors and seeing engaged with other people in your network you get those ideas from them, even if they didn't say exactly this is go get a line of credit. You still like you can create ideas off of what somebody else did or what they were thinking and use that to overcome your obstacle that you have in front of me. But I love the way you look at it, that you're just creating that obstacle. There are you're making that assumption. So uh, great advice. Um, I think that was one of the best uh, responses we've had on our our mindset segment. (laughs) Hearing the, so going to places where you're constantly hearing success stories was big for me, believing that it could be done. Right. And so bigger pockets was huge. I think, I don't know how long the rookie podcast has been around, but it was, it, it started a little bit later after I started listening to the main bigger pockets one. But that was huge because I was hearing people succeeding in it every day. And so my mindset, I'm like, there has to be a way. I'm not the first person that's faced this. So there has to be a way. And so that little bit of faith or that little bit of courage 
knowing that other people have done it, I'm like, if they can do it, I can figure this out. And that was just a little bit of the motivation that I needed to stay after it. Justin, I got to add on to that because for most people who are venturing off into the, the crazy world of real estate investing, they might be the only person in their entire network that's thinking about becoming a real estate investor. And when you talk to your uncle Jim or whoever, and he's saying the market's about to crash or don't buy that house because you know, you're gonna have people calling you at three o'clock in the morning, like it's easy to get discouraged. So I, you know, it's super important. I'm glad you highlighted this to surround yourself with other people who are on the same journey as you and who have completed that same journey, right? Or who, or who yeah. are a few steps ahead of you even better, right? Like if you're at zero deals, being able to talk to someone who's done one deal, that's a mind opening, life-changing experience, right? To talk to someone who's done five deals, that's like, oh my God, like how did you do that? So building the right community, finding the right community is huge. And this is a perfect opportunity for me to plug the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. We've got like 30,000 people in there, but there's stories in there all day, every day about people getting their first deal, their second deal, their fifth deal, and they're sharing how they did it. So, you know, obviously the podcast is a great resource, but connect with people, send them a friend request, send them a message, say, hey, how can I provide value to you? What can I do to help you continue to grow your business and allow them to give you some value back in return? So I, I just love that approach, Justin. I had to pause yeah. on that so we could highlight that for the listeners. That's perfect, yeah. Okay, you guys, it is time to go to our rookie request line. You guys can reach us anytime at one 888 rookie and leave us a voicemail with your question and we may play it on our next show uh, for a guest to answer today's question is from kyle in madison wisconsin hi this is kyle from madison wisconsin my question is i'm at a point now where i'm trying to really figure out my location should i be looking at wisconsin as a whole and trying to find deals that i think make sense in the area so in other words find a deal and then research the area to make sure that deal makes sense in that area? Or should I focus on an area and then wait for a deal to come to me? I would do all the research I needed to where I had the neighborhoods, like down to the neighborhoods, pinpointed of where I want to have a property, if, especially if it's a rental or even a flip. I want to know the neighborhoods that are going to work with my model. And then I'll know that when, then I'll just obviously watch for those neighborhoods for deals to pop up. And I know that I'm already in a neighborhood and I know the numbers can work. So I, I guess my answer would be, I would drill down to know which specific zip codes or neighborhoods I want to be in that make sense, that have the right demographics and low crime rate and things like that. And then when a deal pops up, you know, you're, you're comfortable with that area and you can make an offer. Yeah, I agree with Justin. I think that if you are just looking for deals, then analyze the market, you're going to drive yourself crazy because you're going to be looking all over. You need to define your market and then set your criteria in that market so that when you are analyzing deals, you just go through your checklist. Okay, does this meet the cash flow I want? Does this meet you know my appreciation I want? Is this an A-class school district? Uh, whatever your criteria is, find the market first, analyze that, then look for deals in there. And Kyle mentioned, should I wait for a deal to come to me? No, don't wait. There's so many ways to source deals. Uh, you know, having a realtor send you deals on the MLS, that's free, that's easy to do. Uh, you can dr do driving for dollars. Uh, you can send direct mail. You can door knock. Tell everybody you know in that market that you're looking for a property to buy. Go to investment meetups, uh, you know, see w what's out there, what where other people are finding deals. So definitely don't wait for a deal to come to you. Because what happens, there are certain synergies or efficiencies that happen when you know the areas and the zip codes you want to be in. Because the ARVs are going to be very similar and the rents are going to be very similar. And so you can you can move a lot faster in analyzing a deal. I mean, I can be at work, you know, in the middle of the day and see a deal a lead pop up on my in my in email and say, okay, that's this neighborhood. So I just throw it out. Or hey, that's an area that I want. And I know the rent's going to be about here. I know ARV is about here. That's a deal. Let's throw an offer out. Like it's so quick once you have the metrics for those neighborhoods down. If you're just going big, man, you're going to be like, okay, well, I don't know what's the crime in that neighborhood. Like, you know, what are what's the ARV for the neighborhood? You almost have to redo it for every deal. I get a little more fine tuned and know the numbers for those zip codes in the neighborhood so that it, you can move a lot faster. Because you're, <laughs> especially right now, you've got to be making offers very quickly. 
to get these deals. And so moving fast is going to be huge. Yeah. So Justin, I want to take us to our, our next segment here, which is the the random question segment. And you, you kind of touched on this already, but I, I just I'm hoping you can maybe articulate it a bit more clearly for the guests. In order to be a successful Burr investor, do you feel that it's required that someone have like a really handy background? Like, should I know how to lay tile, how to put a backsplash, how to, uh, you know, pick out like what are the handy requirements someone needs to have to be a successful Burr investor? No, I don't think you need that. No, I mean, it definitely helps when you see pictures and you're like, oh, hey, we could do this for that kitchen. I don't have a lot of that. Um, so I lean on my team members pretty heavily and other example pictures. So you don't, I mean, it definitely helps, but you don't, if you get the right team members, then you should be just fine without that. I would not wait around and I would not study like rehab books if you're not going to be the guy or the girl doing the rehab. Me, like this has to be passive for me, this or as passive as it can be because I have a full-time gig. So I can't spend time I can't swing the hammer and I can't really even go to Home Depot and pick out tile because it's just I don't have time for that. So I lean on it as in I'm going to hire where I don't have the expertise. I think that's one of the benefits of investing out of state is that it really forces you to build the teams, to incorporate the systems and to focus working on your business as opposed to working in your business. You know, I've always kind of struggled with the fact that I'm not super handy. You know, I, I can't go out there and like lay down the, the flooring or update the black splash or, you know, put up drywall. But at the end of the day, my job as a real estate investor isn't necessarily to know how to do those things, but it's to know how to run the numbers to include the cost of having that job done. And as long as the deal still makes sense after accounting for those things, then I've done my job as a real estate investor because now I still got a good deal. So I just know a lot of times people kind of struggle with you know them not having the technical knowledge of doing some of that repair work, but I'm, I'm glad you highlighted that it's not always necessary. Yeah. And I mean, I grew up on a dairy farm and farmers are really good at just figuring it out. I mean, they're mechanics and they're veterinarians, like it, they, they have tons of skills. So I could probably figure out how to put a countertop on. But again, I don't want another job. I don't want to be doing that because I have my other things. And honestly, I would probably, I tell people this all the time, I would probably follow this same method of acquiring properties using this team, even if the property was across the street from my house, I would still send my inspector, I'd still send the contractor, like it would be exactly the same. I would be selling solar and I would send my team, even if it was right here in my neighborhood. And that, cause that's the model, that's the business that I want. So it just depends on what your ultimate goals are, I guess. That's great. Thank you, Justin. For my question, I'm wondering, uh, does your property management company use software and is that you get your owner reports from, stuff like that. We always hear from, you know, the property management side of the software, but I'm curious about your experience as a, an owner, you know, using the app, using the software to look at your rent roll, to look at your income statement, to pull your owner reports. Yeah, they're pretty awesome at that. I get a monthly statement of where all the expenses have been, what the rent income has been and then what the distribution to my bank account is going to be, which is the funnest part. So yeah, I, I get really good details. I had to kind of learn how to interpret it initially. I didn't know what, it, what I was looking at at, at first, but they walked me through it. And yeah, I get really good reports. I can go see, I, I got a, not a portfolio, but a, a platform where I can log in and I can see the properties. I can review all those documents. It's pretty, pretty slick. Yeah, they do a good job with that. I think that's a huge advantage when you're going with a property management that has all of those departments, like you mentioned before, and is a larger company because they have that software. I mean, you can log in right now and look at, you know, is there a, a vacant unit coming mm -hmm. up? You can look at who your tenants are. You can look at who paid rent. And then you also get those monthly emails. Yep. So what would be your advice for, for someone seeking out a property management company on looking at the software? What are some things you really like that you're getting from your property management on the, the report side? I would definitely just ask for examples of the reports that you're going to receive as the investor. What do the financials look like? Is it easy to show? Is it easy to see where your money is going as far as the bills that you're paying and, and any maintenance that's being done? Just seeing that is is super big. And then... Again, I already said this, but 
the responsiveness. If I have a question on that, I need to be able to email or call and get a pretty quick response. And that's probably been the biggest thing for me on this property management company, just their responsiveness. So ask for examples, have them show you the, the, you know, the online portal of how to use it, how it functions and what their process is like. That's been huge. Awesome, Justin. Well, thank you for sharing that, brother. So before we start wrapping up the, the podcast here, Ash and I want to give a quick shout out to one of our real estate rookie rock stars. So today's rookie rock star is Gus Ophelia. And Gus actually already has 11 rental units, but he put down 20% on all of those. But Gus just closed on his first Burr deal. So I just want to run through the, the details really quick. It was a four bedroom, one bath, single family house. He bought it for $70,000 put another $40,000 into the rehab. So his total all of them was about $110,000. And the ARV was $160,000. So a pretty solid burr. And he's planning to rent that out for $2,000 per month. So much like you, Justin, uh, he realized that, you know, that the capital wasn't going to last forever. Um, seems like he did a few more deals than you did before he made that change. But congrats to you guys for, uh, for knocking out the part, brother. That's awesome. Thank you uh, so much for joining us today. Can you tell everyone where they can find out some more information about you and maybe reach out to you? Yeah, I'm probably the most active on Instagram at the Money Maven Project uh, on Instagram. That's where I share everything. Initially, you know, the reason I share it is because I feel like there's, it's just, again, I was helped so much by other people sharing their stories. So I share as much as I can on there, but at the Money Maven Project on Instagram is going to be the best place. You can find my podcast and website there is through Instagram. Justin, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I hope everyone got a ton of value from this podcast episode today. Make sure you check Justin out on Instagram and join our Facebook group. And don't forget to subscribe to our very new YouTube channel, Real Estate Rookie on YouTube. Every week, we're going to be putting out new videos. And we also have all of the podcast uh, episode recordings uploaded onto there now, too. I'm Ashley at Welcome Rentals. And he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. And we'll see you guys on Saturday for our next Rookie Reply. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step -step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.